The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Well, it's a new year, day two already. It's going fast, isn't it? <laughs> Where did day one go? <laughs> it's a new beginning, maybe. That's kind of up to us. Is it a new me? No. Is it a new you? No. <laughs> Sometimes we'd like to. I look in the mirror and said, get me something new, God. This one's wearing out. But, but it really isn't. Is it a chance to start over? Maybe. It kind of depends on where we're at and if we really need to start over. Or it just might be a, a milepost. And we chalk that milepost up and we mark it with whatever happened that day. Kind of like our calendar. This new year, 2022, is going to have 365 mileposts. And we mark birthdays and celebrations just like the Israelites did. They marked down things on the calendar, and every, every annual time it came around, they celebrated this and they celebrated that. And those are all good things. But every day the sun will come up, every day the sun goes down, and God is still on his throne. Everything is as it was. And it will continue to do that till God says, it's finished. And we make promises during this time of year to ourselves, to God, to our friends, to our family. We call them resolutions. And I was thinking about that, about resolutions. And I thought, we really don't need resolutions. What we need are New Year's revelations. We need God to speak into our lives that living word, that's the revelation. When God speaks his word, life, into us and reveals himself to us. And we need, we need that in our lives. Turn to Ecclesiastes 1.9. If you would. If you have your Bibles. And what it says there is, that which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Interesting, isn't it? We're trying to make things new all the time. You look in the store and you find things that are new and improved. And when you think about it, they might be improved, but they're not new. It's the same product. It's just been tweaked, or it's been a variation of that, or it's been adapted to something else, or it's improved. They, they added something to it or took something from it. They, they did something to it to make it different, to make it new. So I said all of that to say this. What I'm going to share with you probably isn't new. You've probably heard it before, some of it probably a hundred times. But that doesn't mean you don't need to hear it again. You've heard it from this person and that person and that person. And some of it you've heard from me. But, uh, but for the most part, sometimes we need to, instead of tuning out, we need to tune in and say, you know, as, as a word comes to us, and somebody can be talking about this point, but it brings something up in our heart about this point in my life and something God is trying to speak to me on. So keep your ears open, and uh, if you want to take notes, you can. I took notes several times doing this. When pastor asked me to do this, <clears throat> I thought, man, how can I do this? And I was thinking about it, and I said, God, how can I ever do this? You know I'm not a really good speaker. I'm not eloquent. I don't have a lot of large words. So I opened up one of my 
morning devotionals, and the, the headline said, Rise to the Occasion. I haven't been able to find that page again since, so I don't know if something, you know, something was printed there, and then you didn't need that anymore. But so, and then I was thinking this morning, and I said, Jesus, how come you look through the Word, and all of this seemed so easy for you? You just kind of walked through things, and He said, because I know who I am. I said, okay. And then he said, do you know who you are? So I went and looked in the mirror. I said, you look like Gabby Hayes. But, <laughs> but you know, but, but that, that kind of spoke to my heart this morning, and I thought, okay, we can do this. And I'm always a little bit intrepid when it comes to sharing the word because I don't want to step on God's word. I don't want to change it. I don't want to speak it in error, out of context. So it's, it's kind of a heavy load to carry sometimes when you're asked to do something like this. So bear with me if I stutter a little now and then. And uh, if, it, if it works the way it's supposed to, we might go somewhere. We might just hit a brick wall and say, okay, that's all. <laughs> so we'll see where that takes us. Turn to Philippians 1, 20 if you would. <clears throat> and Paul's writing to the Philippians here, and he's giving thanksgiving for them, and he's kind of edifying them and building them up a little, and then uh, t telling them to live, as, to live as Christ and to die as gain and all of that. But, so Philippians, what did I say? 120, didn't I? Okay, so, and, and he comes to this and he says, according to my in earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And another, version, another uh, translation puts it this way. My desire and my hope is that I may never feel ashamed, but that now and forever I may do honor to Jesus Christ in my own being with fearless courage. When you think about what Paul was writing there, you get an idea that he has an eternal mindset, that he's... He's, he's almost saying, I'm not of this world. You know, he's saying, heaven is my home. And uh, I think we need to get to that point where, you know, we say that a lot. We say we're just passing through. There's songs about just passing through this world because heaven is my home. But do we really mean that? You know, we get, we get so caught up in the physical that we kind of set the eternal off in the back somewhere. What he's saying is that he wants Jesus to be first in our life, to exalt him in my being is to say, Jesus, you get the front row seat. Everything that I do, everything that I say, I want to be filtered through you so that you're speaking to my heart constantly. That's a hard place to get, so we say. <clears throat> but if we don't put Jesus first in our lives, then most assuredly at some point, maybe not here, but there, when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we will most assuredly be ashamed. And that's a heavy load. That's a heavy word. And that's, and I have to remind you and me that when I was when I was reading this and writing this, I was writing it to me. So I'm kind of speaking a lot of this to me into my life, and you get to ride along. Is that all right? Okay. So 
when we get to that point to put Jesus first in our life, it's not a matter of debate. It's not a, a matter of coercion or reasoning. But it's a question of the will. It's will I. It's actually a surrendering of the will, if you will. So think about that. That it is, It's a point of surrender. You know, we, we keep saying, well, God gave me a free will. He gave it to you. But just like everything in your life, God gave it to you, and some of it you want to give back. And that's what God wants. He wants us to be so free that we will trust him with our free will. Help me, Jesus. So what keeps us really from surrendering our will is really, and I took this out of a book, an overwhelming consideration of ourselves. So what that really boils down to is self-centeredness. You know, we, we have such a, a fetish to take care of me, you know, and it, uh, we try to make it about other things and other people and what it might cost if I sold out 120% to Jesus. What would it cost my family? What would it cost my job? What would it cost this person or that person? And then you kind of think, God, do you know the kind of people I'm dealing with down here? Those people all around my life, some family that questionable. And he says, probably with a grin, he probably looks and says, have you read my book lately? Did you see those people I had to deal with? Did you see how many laps around a mountain the Israelites had to take before I finally found some people with enough spine to go in and take the gift that I'd already given them? So when it comes down to it, we're kind of in the same place. And God has a ton of tools to work with, a lot more than we do when it comes to dealing with people. But he has one special tool in his box. And I think it's his favorite tool. It's you and me. And fortunately for us and for him, he made us a multi-tool. Think about that. Turn to Thessalonians 5.23. I'll get there with you in a minute. And that says, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are a three-part being. We're multi just as God is multi, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So we're a three-part being. And that three-part being is spirit, soul, and body. And I don't think it was by chance that spirit was written down first. I like to think of it this way, is that I'm a spirit. I have a soul, and I live in a body. My spirit is incorruptible. My spirit was born again when I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. When Jesus saved me, he didn't save this. He saved this. He saved that spirit man within me because that's the incorruptible me. This, we've already been told, is going to decay and go to a grave at some point unless Jesus returns first and I become glorified and go like that. So, and this is called, the spirit is called pneuma, and it's spelled P-N-E-U-M-A. That's the Greek. I wanted to put some Greek in here so you'd think I was intelligent. Pneuma, spirit, means breath or air. So when God made Adam, he took dust from the earth, and he reached down, and he bent over, and he breathed his spirit into Adam, and Adam became a living being. 
Now, my mind can't wrap around that. And I don't think I'm intelligent enough to, to, to reason that whole thing out. But when you think about that, you know, it wasn't just air that God breathed into and made lungs inside of Adam so he could breathe. He breathed something tangible in there. If he had just breathed air, we'd be nothing more than a bunch of hot air balloons walking around with nothing else in there. But there was something very tangible that went into Adam when God breathed his spirit into Adam and he became a living being. And now I can't tell you how dirt became flesh and how that little lump of clay all of a sudden had a brain. But I can tell you how it had a spirit. And I don't really have to reason a lot of that out because I'm kind of simple when it comes to that. And I just figure God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. So that's, that's kind of how I'm built. And the soul is called suki. That's P-S-U-C-H-E. And that's our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's the other part of this tool God has in his toolbox that he put in us. And then soma is the body, and the body is temporal. The body is just a temporary shell for right now. Because without it, we couldn't walk around. Nobody would see us. So, spirit, soul, and body. In 1 Corinthians 15.50, the Bible tells us flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So somewhere in this whole scheme of things that God has worked out, he will probably somehow glorify our bodies when the graves are opened and we're taken up. I don't know if it's going to be, you know, it's, it's not going to be this kind of flesh and blood evidently because that scripture right there says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And he's talking about eternal, not temporal. This is temporal. This whole thing is temporal. All of this will pass away. So, Flesh and blood cannot. So that's why when Adam sinned, the plug was pulled on the spirit inside Adam. Because I kind of think of Adam as being like hardwired to God. When God breathed his spirit in, he was hooked up straight to God. There was nothing between them. And he could just communicate with God. And God communicated with him. They walk together. So, but when Adam sinned, separation happened. The plugs pulled. And then God thought, somehow he has to preserve Adam. Because God in himself can't just forgive sin blatantly, just like that. It has to be covered by blood. So God killed some animals and dressed Adam and Eve in the skins of those animals. And then he instituted the law. And all of Adam's descendants down through the whole Old Testament were under the law. And the law was given so that God could forgive by the shedding of blood. They had annual feasts and type things to shed blood for the forgiveness of the whole nation. So then, and that's a whole other study that you could study out. But... Uh, so the one thing we all just have to remember is, is this. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That suki up here that God put. Okay? So we do that by the word of God. We keep renewing this until it's transformed. And not of this world, but of that world. So we must be first reborn. Our spirit man must be reborn and regenerated within us. Second, we need to be renewed. Our soul needs to be renewed with the word of God. And thirdly, our body, because it's probably the most rebellious of the three, needs to be redirected. 
Darlene and I were in children's ministry for umpteen years. And the one thing we, we knew that we had to do because parents wouldn't let us beat their children with a stick, you know. <laughs> that, that just was unheard of. So we used redirection to get children to, to do things that, that they should be doing. If we saw somebody that was doing something over here that they shouldn't be doing, we would take a toy or, or something that they would be interested in and say, hey, look at this. Come over here with me. I want to show you this. And we'd go over somewhere else and redirect them. And, pre and, and like a child, you know, they're, they're here and they're there and their, their attention spans are about that long, usually about a minute per age until they're like over five. But so you do that. And that's the same thing God does with us when we renew our mind, then our spirit becomes the leader instead of our physical body. And then our spirit speaks through our soul to our body and says, do this, do this instead of that. So that's, that's, that's actually just the, the whole thing is, is called salvation. Once your spirit is regenerated, all this other stuff falls in line. John 3.15 says, whoever believes... In him, Jesus, has eternal life in him. And that word believes, you know, this time of year we start thinking too about what we believe. So what we believe, and this word at this point says it means cleaves to, it means adheres to or sticks to like adhesive. It means to remain faithful to him. And it's kind of like the wedding vow, like when a man leaves a woman, or he leaves his mother, and, and his wife shall leave the home, and the two become one, and the wife cleaves to her husband. It's that same kind of thing. Jesus, we're the bride of Christ. We are to cleave to the groom. And that's, that's what he wants us to do. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. It says, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And that's kind of where I want to get to. And we had to go through salvation to get there. Is that all right? So we walk by faith, not by sight. And over in chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Therefore, and Paul's talking about the, the temporal and the eternal at this point. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but, through our outer, though, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look, at, look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then Hebrews 1.11 tells us what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance, tangible. You can hold on to it. You can hold on to your faith. It's a substance of things hoped for and the evidence. If you're investigating a crime, you look for evidence. If you're investigating any situation, you look for evidence that will prove that out. And that tangible faith is the evidence of things yet unseen. We believe Jesus is Lord. We believe God is. Because if you don't believe God is, you can't please him. So we believe those things, but we don't see them. When's the last time you saw God? When's the last time you saw Jesus? Jesus. 
I see him in his word. I feel him by my spirit. One time, years and years and years and years and years ago, uh, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. When we're first saved, I want to go there. We're kind of like a kid in a candy store. Do you remember that when you were first saved? You know, we just talked about do this in remembrance. Sometimes it's good to look back when you were first saved and that light that was there, that excitement that was there. Ooh, I want that. Ooh, I want that. Everything God has, I want some of that. You want some of that? And, and, it's, and it just, it's bright. It's, it's like we're in a spotlight, you know, and, and we're the star, and God loves only us. I'm his favorite child. I had a lady that in Des Moines, Jan, you remember Jan? And she used to always say, I'm God's favorite child, and so are you. And you think about that. You know, God has a lot of favorite children, and you are his favorite child. So anyway, when you're saved, and everything is bright and new, talk about New Year's, new, everything's new. And we see signs everywhere. When we were young, <laughs> we were just full of the Spirit. Every, everything, everything was God. You know, we were, we were young and, and, and silly a lot of times. But, and, I, and I think God allows that for a while. And, you know, even we'd go out to eat, you know, and somebody would look down and say, look, there's a cross in my spaghetti right there. Or, or oh, I see a sign of a fish over there. And, you know, and it's a sign. It's a sign. But, you know, those, those things, you know, we, we did things like that. And, you know, we knew it was silly to a degree. But then was it? You know, God was toying with his favorite children, I believe, and showing us, yeah, I'm here. But then something happens. Those signs slowly start to dissipate. And all of a sudden, we find out God wants to put us to work. Work! That four-letter word, work. God wants us to do things. Really? I just want to go to meetings and sit there and soak it up. And that's another thing we used to do. We used to take our 10-pound Bibles, and we'd go to three or four Bible studies a week, and we'd be out every night, you know, going here, going there, soaking up this, soaking up that, ministering here, doing that. And it was, it was just a, it was, it was almost like a carnival ride. It was just like, whoopee, here we go, you know. But, uh, but then things, things start to mellow down, and all of a sudden you become mature, you know. And, and, then, you, and then you begin to put away those childish things. And are they really childish? You know, when you think, we're children of God. We should have that spark in us all the time. But then we start to encounter some trials and some difficulties and things along the way. But God still wants us to do our duty, to do our work, the work of the ministry. He wants us to, to be, not to just do, or not just to, to soak it up. He wants us to do, not just be, okay? So, and he wants us to do our duty even with nobody noticing it. Oh, what's that? You know, if I do that and nobody notices, how will anybody know that I did it? Where's the spotlight? But God wants us to know that we can walk by faith without anybody noticing, and do the things that God has called us to do without a spotlight so that we can still walk with him and serve him even when it feels like somebody turned out the lights. Where's the voice of God? I used to hear things. I used to get inspired words from God. Where are those words? You think about the, the Christian church that went through the dark ages. 
And it was almost like God just turned off the switch and said, you're on your own. But he was there. He was there. So he wants us to begin then to walk our life out in faith, even if we never see God, even if he never taps us on the shoulder, even if he never whispers in our ear, he wants us to do what he's called us to do. You know, the Great Commission is, is really very simple. Get up, go, and do. That's it. That's all Jesus told us to do. Get up, go, and do. Do what? Do what you saw me do. Go where you saw me go. Deal with the kind of people you saw me deal with. Bring those gifts that I put in you to those people. That's what he wants us to do. Jesus put so many gifts within us. You know, when you look at the gifts of the Spirit, and then there's uh, some motivational gifts. There's a real good teaching on motivational gifts. It kind of tells you how you go about receiving things and doing things. And it's, it would be a fun place to go. Maybe we'll do that next time. Darlene used to teach that. And she did a really good job. So I, I kind of hesitate to go there. But uh, anyway, uh, when we're doing that, when we're doing our duty and we're walking around and we're, we're just doing what God told us we need to be doing, we're cleaning the church or we're standing at the door greeting or we're uh, serving communion as ushers or or as we're, we do a Bible study in our home, or we go over and minister to the lady next door because you found out she was sick or, or ailing or needed something. But those are the things we do, we go and do. And we do them without accolade, without anybody noticing. It's just part of who we are. So then we go about doing mundane things, and all of a sudden, we realize, hey, God was here all the time, and I never even noticed. But he was there. He was walking beside me. He was getting me through something that I probably didn't even see, but, but there he was. And that's kind of a surprise. So the only thing he wants us to do is to not try to live by the rare moments, those times, you know, when he speaks in our ear or when he gives us a dream or a vision. Those are, those are rare moments, really, the true visions, the true, true dreams. People have dreams and visions all the time, but sometimes I think a lot of them are not from God. But when he speaks to our heart, those are, those are the times, you know, this morning, I think I already told you that, didn't I? That... Uh, when I asked Jesus if I could do this, and he said, you know who you are. So those kind of moments are really rare, and he doesn't want us to live there. It's good to remember them, but we also have to remember that we have to go out into sometimes, and we feel alone, but he's there. He wants to be with us, and he'll lead us and guide us and direct us. And those, place, those places are special when he does those things, but he wants us to be able to receive a dream, receive a vision, uh, get, a, get a real word from him, and not be led away by it, saying, look who I am. God spoke to me. God gave me this dream. I am his favorite child. You know, those, those things occur, but we don't live there. Years ago when I was in Des Moines, and I, I referred to that earlier, I was at home by myself. Darlene and Angie had tickets to a Don Francisco concert. Anybody remember Don Francisco? He was an old Christian singer back in the early 90s. Uh, Melissa remembers him. <laughs> uh, but I was home alone, and the, the church we just started attending asked me to be their worship leader. And so I thought, I'm just going to take this time to pray. So I had all the lights out in the house, and it was starting to get dark. 
And so I just was in the living room, and there was one window in the, in the, in the house. And I was praying, and just, just praying, walking around the living room. And the next thing I knew that, that, that I can remember was I was on my face, on the carpet, not looking up, but I could tell there was somebody in the room. And I was there by myself. And the sun had gone down, and it was dark. And I, and I wish that I would open my eyes. But it was so strong. And I think back on that, and I remember that. But I can't live there. There was such a presence in that room. And I knew that I knew that I knew I was right where he wanted me. It's a good place to be. So... All of that to say this, walking by faith is what a Christian life of overcoming is all about. Jesus wants us to be overcomers, but he also wants us to go about doing good. In Acts, uh, the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good healing the poor, healing, healing people, delivering people, setting people free, feeding the hungry, all of those things. So in all of that being saved, being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Lord, being led by your Spirit, for what? For what purpose are we saved to? And there's several scriptures that allude to the fact that when Jesus went about doing good, he ministered to the poor, uh, he ministered to, uh, to others. So let's look at John 12. John, 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 John 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Come on. John verse John chapter 12 verse 20 starting in verse 20 This is right after Jesus enters Jerusalem he's already come in they've been laying palms on the on the road and throwing their jackets and he's coming into town and they're celebrating Jesus and and they're saying hosanna he's coming in to celebrate the passover And then he's he's in a place and there were some Greeks among the people who were there going up to worship at the feast. And the Greeks were uh, Gentiles. They weren't, they weren't Israelites. They weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. And as they were coming in, they came up to Philip, who was, who was with Jesus then, and he said, we want to see Jesus. Can we see Jesus? I'll just read this. Now there were certain Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These therefore came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And you know, the world really wants to see Jesus. No matter what they say, no matter what they think, they want to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went up and told Jesus, and then Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, 
I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And then there came therefore a voice out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the multitude that stood around heard it and were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel spoke to them. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon the world now. The ruler of this world shall be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death which he would die. So what he's saying there, and, and, and if you look at what was happening there, they came to celebrate the Passover. And the first thing to note is that the, the Apostle John, in writing this, didn't record anything that the Greeks said. So you kind of wonder if Jesus anticipated the questions, because everybody has questions for Jesus when they come. And he didn't record anything. Jesus just started talking. And he started to speak of sacrifice and, and the end foretelling. And in the end, he was foretelling his sacrifice on the cross in verses 32 and 33. And what he's speaking of here about the seed in the ground and, and dying, he's talking about dying to self. And to die to self, you become a servant. You become a, and you get a servant's heart. And that's what he wants us to have. And a servant's heart should be a direct result of our salvation. So what we're, what we're called to and what we're, we're here for is basically this, and it's getting, I don't want to wear you out with a lot of this. I hope it's interesting. It was interesting to me. <laughs> but when Jesus said, follow me, he didn't mean, here, you go there, and I'll go here, and you just follow me. Wherever I go, you go. We'll play follow the leader. That's not what he was talking about. When he said, follow me, if you are my servant, it literally means imitate me. Do it exactly like I do it. Jesus was already doing what he was asking his servants, that's us, to do. He was going about doing good. Acts 10.38 says, did you know Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good? healing all who were oppressed of the devil. In Mark chapter 1, verse 34, he talks about Jesus healing people. In Mark 6, 34, he talks about Jesus having compassion on the people. And, and uh, healing, he, he not only healed people, but he fed you know, a ton of people, like 5,000 people. But he had that compassion, and that compassion... For the needy is something else. It should be a byproduct of our salvation. That's what we're saved to. To bring what we have to needy people. You know, we have what they need. But we can't keep it in here. It's got to be out there. Because they won't come here unless we go out there and take that what's real, that real Jesus. That real Jesus that they're going to see is right here. They're going to see Jesus working in me, through me, to touch their lives. And that's the Jesus they're going to see. And once they get saved and filled with the Spirit, and their spirit becomes generated, they'll see Jesus. And they'll really see him in glory at some point in their life. So... Psalm 26, 2 and 3 says, Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for I have always been mindful of your unfailing love, and I have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. So we need to live on the faithfulness of Jesus, and we need to realize 
that we are called out of darkness into the light. And we are to be that light out here, out here in this world. So that's what I want to leave you with, is that we need to have more of a compassion for those people that are in need. You know, we look down on a lot of people sometimes, and, and I'm just as guilty as anybody else. But we need to realize that those people need one thing above everything else. They need Jesus. And sometimes the only Jesus they're going to see is you. So how we treat them is how they're going to believe Jesus treats them. How we minister to them is how Jesus ministers to them. He's going to work in us and through us because there again, we're that multi-tool in his toolbox. A lot of times, unless God does a supernatural in, in intervention, and he does that on occasion, the only intervention they're going to get is from us, from, these, from us in this room. So I know that's a lot to ponder and think about, but I'm going to leave you with this. What do you really believe? What do you really believe? If you have some time this week, go someplace real quiet where you can think, where there's no interruptions, where you can just think for a little bit. Use this suki that God put in your head and think. Think, what do I really believe? You know, what is, what is bedrock belief? You know, your beliefs, you say, what do I believe? And, and I'm, I'm not crazy about saying, what do you believe? But it's the word we use. I'm more of the type who would say, what are you really convinced of? What, have, what are you really convinced of? What is your convictions? You know, beliefs change, you know. I say, like, after this, I'm going to go down to the steakhouse and have a steak, I believe. And then I look in my wallet and say, I believe I'm going to Subway. They might have a $5 special there. So, you know, so beliefs can be changed by circumstance. Sometimes some of our beliefs are not bedrock. Your convictions, you will die for. So that makes you wonder, do I really have any convictions? So I think it's important, even you know, for this new year, to get alone, write those things down that you believe, and then look at them and say, are they bedrock? Am I convinced of that? Would I die for that belief? Write it down. Would it be a foundation that I can stand on and build a life on? If you can, bless your heart. But give yourself some grace to grow on if you don't, if you're not quite there. Give yourself a little grace. I'm giving myself a lot of grace because I, I know what I believe, I know what I'm convinced of, and there are some things I would die for. So think on that. Write it down, and then keep that list somewhere. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it in your wallet or your purse or whatever. Keep it with you where you can see it daily and see if any of those things change when you come into conflicts or uh, trials and tribulations and all of that. See if any of those bedrock beliefs change. If they don't, then you're right where you need to be. But if they do, then we have work to do. So give yourself some time and some grace to look at, look at the things you actually believe. I sat down in my living room one day and, and started writing, I believe. And I wrote a whole page down and I read it back to myself. And then I tore it out and I wrote, I believe, and I started again. So, you know, so whittle it down to where, yeah, this is a belief, this is a conviction, this is a belief, this is a conviction. Those things I'll die for. Those are what you really believe. The rest of them are temporal. The rest of them change with the wind. 
with the changing winds of doctrine and circumstances and situations and things like that. So, in the meantime, here's the point. If you know what you believe and what's important, you won't be shaken by what is really trivial and of little concern. Let's all stand. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We serve you, Lord. We honor you in this house. And Lord, where did we see you and didn't recognize you? And where will I encounter you today and fail to see you? Lord, give me eyes to see. Give me a heart to respond. Give me hands and feet to serve you wherever I encounter you, Lord, and wherever you encounter me. Transform me by your Spirit into a servant of Christ who really delights in meeting the needs of those around me. Stir up your compassion in my heart, Lord, for those who are in need, for those who need you. And let me do, go about doing good as a faithful servant. So at some point, when this life is over, I can stand before you and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pray this for me. I pray this for you. I pray this for our church. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.